Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Brand Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Brand Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 34 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence and abuse. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. A family holiday over the festive period turns into a brutal nightmare. Children weren't allowed to eat, sleep or drink. They were forced to pray and take part in what was a sadistic ritual that was under the guise of deliverance. They subjected him to unbelievable cruelty and they forced his brother and sisters to do the same for they too were accused of sorcery. He tried to drive the spirits out of them through beatings. And used an armory of weapons to exorcise the evil spirits. London, 
September 2001. The mutilated torso of a young boy was found floating in the River Thames. Over the course of their investigation, detectives uncovered that not long before his death, the boy had been living in Africa. Cough syrup was also discovered in his stomach. It was believed to have been a ritualistic murder or a human sacrifice, bringing to light the genuine prospect of ritualistic abuse in the UK. The boy was dubbed Adam, and two decades later the case remains unsolved. Also as seen in the case of Victoria Klimbier, an eight-year-old girl from the Ivory Coast who was tortured and killed by relatives in 2000 when they believed she was a witch. The combination of traditional African beliefs and fundamentalist Christianity has led to an alarming increase in belief-based child abuse. Within the last 10 years, over 80 incidents of such abuse have been uncovered in Britain. When a child is suspected of being possessed by Kindoki, they are forced to undergo a lengthy and dangerous process of fasting and prayer before a deliverance ceremony. Kindoki is a term from the language of Lingala, given to an otherwise inexplicable bout of bad luck, sometimes likened to a curse or being a witch. It is believed that the child becomes infected by ingesting something tainted with kindoki. Once it has been decided that the child is a witch, they are often kept in a room alone, with no food for up to four weeks before a ceremony is undertaken. The child is beaten, shouted at and traumatised until the perceived demon is cast out in Jesus' name. Participants believe they are punishing the spirit, not the child. Head of the Child Abuse Investigation Command at Scotland Yard, Detective Superintendent Terry Sharp, would tell reporters, If someone is branded a witch, the violence can escalate quite quickly. They are no longer seen as a child, but someone that can inflict harm on others. One minute the child is a loved child, then someone in the community can blame the child for a misfortune and say the child is a witch, possessed by evil spirits. The parents will no longer see that child as theirs anymore, but an evil spirit that needs to be released. Deliverances or exorcisms can often involve physical violence. A child is starved or put in a cage so that they can't pass the spirit on to other children. The child accused of being possessed with kindoki is often made to fast and pray until they confess. Placed under pressure to answer questions, any admissions of being possessed are often given as a means to end their ordeal. At around 12pm on December 25th, 2010, a 999 call was received by operators in London 
from a panicked woman who urged them to send help to a flat on Hathaway Crescent in Newham. You must come. My brother has drowned himself in the bath, said a voice through heaving sobs. Emergency responders rushed to the scene of the alleged drowning. They found a man performing chest compressions on a teenager in the bathroom of a flat. When paramedics took over the life-saving efforts, they realised it was futile. The teenager had something lodged in his airways. When the medic inspected their mouth, it became apparent what was preventing CPR. The teenager's own teeth. The woman who called the emergency services identified herself as Magali Bamu. She lived in the flat with her boyfriend Eric Bakubi. The teenager who had been in the bath was Magali's 15-year-old brother Christy. They were not the only ones in the flat. Four of Christy's siblings were also present. Paramedics noticed that besides all being hysterical and terrified, the brothers and sisters were soaking wet. Christy Bamu had several visible injuries, including cuts and bruises over his head, face, arms and back. Two of his sisters also appeared to be injured. They did not speak English, but a paramedic was able to communicate with one of the sisters in French. Her name was Kelly. When the paramedic asked her what had happened, Kelly began describing days of prolonged and systematic torture. She pointed towards items in the house. A metal bar that she had been hit over the head with, floor tiles that had been broken over her brother's head, and a hammer that had knocked Christie's teeth into the back of his throat. Pierre and Jacqueline Bamu were originally from the Democratic Republic of Congo, but they had moved to France in 1988. Their eldest child, Magali, was four years old when they relocated. Pierre and Jacqueline went on to have more children. Pierre was a businessman, and when the family temporarily moved back to the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1996... Magali was sent to live with relatives in London. She was 13 years old at the time. The Bamus again returned to Paris where they raised their children. The family would often travel to London to visit Magali and attend a revivalist church in the north of the city. When she was 27, Magali was living with her boyfriend Eric Bokubi. He was also from the Democratic Republic of Congo and in his mid-twenties. Pierre and Jacqueline Bamu liked Bakubi, as did their sons. Bakubi said he was a football coach and would try to find their boys a spot playing for an English club. Fifteen-year-old Christy Bamu was an avid football fan and a big Liverpool supporter. 
The teenager devoted all of his spare time to training when he was not working at his father's carpentry business. The family planned to spend Christmas together, but work constraints meant that Pierre and Jacqueline would not arrive until December 27th. The siblings went ahead without their parents. They travelled on the Eurostar to London on December 16th. During those nine days, they were meant to be under the care of their sister, Magali Bamu. The build-up to Christmas was far from the pleasant family time the Bamu children had anticipated. While things were fun at first, likely similar to what they had been used to when they stayed in London many times before, this trip took a drastic turn for the worse, unfolding into unimaginable horror for the five Bamu siblings. Eric Bakubi was controlling, so much so that the bathroom door was always locked. After waiting for as long as he could, Christy accidentally wet himself. Feeling embarrassed, Christy tried to conceal the accident by hiding his wet clothes. But Bakubi found them. Immediately, he began to accuse Christy of trying to taint their food with kindoki and adversely influenced Bakubi's three-year-old son. Bakubi and Magali Bamu accused Christy and his sisters, aged 20 and 11, of witchcraft. The couple forced the siblings to pray for deliverance and refused to give them any food or water. Christy and his sisters were also deprived of sleep. The abuse escalated even further when Magali Bamu and Bakubi began to torture Magali's siblings using numerous items found around the flat. This included light bulbs, a six-inch knife, a wooden stick, a table leg, the metal bar from a dumbbell weight, a hammer and large floor tiles. Christy Bamu sustained the brunt of the abuse. His sisters, terrified of what would happen to them, had falsely confessed to being witches. Eric Bakubi had threatened to throw them out of a window in the high-rise building to see if they could fly. The siblings were then forced to help torture their brother. Magali Bamu took a pair of pliers to Christie's ear, twisting it with such force that she removed a piece of flesh. Eric Bakubi forced a metal pole into Christie's mouth. He struck it repeatedly with a hammer, knocking out some of the 15-year-old's teeth and causing excruciating pain. After two days of sleep deprivation and torture, Eric Bakubi broke floor tiles over Christie's head. Christie's siblings were made to hold him down as the tiles shattered. Bakubi was tired after the relentless beatings. Magali Bamu took over torturing her younger brother mercilessly. The siblings had spoken with their parents numerous times over the phone, but Bakubi's presence made them afraid to talk about the true horrors being inflicted upon them. 
On Christmas Day, Eric Bakubi called Pierre Bamu and told him he needed to come to London quickly because Bakubi believed Christie was possessed. He then passed the phone to Christie, who pleaded with his father to come and collect him. Christie was terrified Eric Bakubi would kill him. There had been almost 50 phone calls made to the Bamus from midnight on Christmas Day. At first, Pierre Bamu and his wife dismissed the bizarre content of the calls because they could not believe that Eric Bakubi would ever hurt their children. But the couple decided to try and find a way to get to London as soon as possible. Over 2,000 passengers were left stranded in the Charles de Gaulle airport on Christmas Eve due to snowstorms. Car rental companies were closed and the Eurostar was not running. The phone calls from London stopped until around 8pm when the Bamu's 20-year-old daughter Kelly called from the hospital to tell them that Christie was dead. After calling the Bamus in Paris on Christmas morning, Eric Bakubi dragged Christie to the bathroom and put him in the bath. Bakubi started running the cold water before forcing the other siblings into the bath with Christie. As the water got higher, Christie struggled to stay upright. He was exhausted and despite Bakubi's commands to stand up and, quote, experience God's strength, Christie did not have the energy to keep himself above the water. His fingers, which had been struck with a hammer, could not grip the sides of the bath. He was weak and severely injured. Christie's hands were trembling too much for him to push himself up. Over the previous day, some of his fingernails had been pulled out in a perverse attempt to drive out the perceived possession. Each time Christie got close to pushing or pulling himself up, he would fall back into the freezing water, until eventually he could not fight anymore. As the water began spilling over the edge of the bath, Christie lay submerged. After the water was drained and Christie was not moving, his sister Kelly begged that they call for help. It was only when Bakubi's attempts to restart Christie's heart were unsuccessful did Magali Bamu eventually call 999. The emergency services arrived, and after the police were notified, Magali Bamu and Eric Bakubi were arrested. Bamu appeared upset about her brother's death, Bakubi was noted as being eerily calm. Christie's siblings, 22-year-old Eve, 20-year-old Kelly, a 13-year-old boy and an 11-year-old girl were taken to the hospital to assess their injuries. With the flat now empty, scenes of crime officers began to process the entirety of the small home. There were over 30 blood-stained items recovered. 
or believed to have been used to inflict pain. Blood spatter covered nearly the entirety of the property. There were over 100 serious injuries found to Christy Bamu's body at the time of his post-mortem. A pathologist noted lacerations and bruises on Christie's head, back and arms. The 15-year-old's face was unrecognisable and two of his teeth had been dislodged. He had 35 puncture wounds or lacerations and 66 injuries caused by blunt objects. There was also a screw found in his bowel, meaning he had ingested it some time prior to his death. Separate examinations were performed to try and determine which of the countless injuries had caused the teenager's death. Initially, three possible causes were determined. Drowning, internal bleeding or an intracranial hemorrhage. A hemorrhage or bleed was found below the cerebellum, near the posterior fossa which contains the brainstem. A bleed in this region can inhibit the normal flow of cerebrospinal fluid, causing symptoms such as dizziness, double vision, tremors and unconsciousness. The cerebellum is also part of the brain that controls your balance and coordination. The brainstem controls your breathing, heart rate and consciousness. As the injuries were so severe and there were so many of them, It took time for the precise cause of death to be established. It was concluded Christy Bamu drowned as a result of his injuries. When Eric Bakubi and Magali Bamu appeared at the Old Bailey for hearings in late December 2010... They were both charged with murder and remanded into custody as medical reports were finalised. By March 2011, Bamu and Bakubi were ordered to stand trial. At a plea and case management hearing, Magali Bamu pleaded not guilty to murder and two counts of causing actual bodily harm for the assaults on her sisters. Eric Bakubi pleaded not guilty to murder however offered guilty pleas to manslaughter and two counts of actual bodily harm on the grounds of diminished responsibility. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to Eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni. The best-in-class, all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The trial began in January 2012 at the Old Bailey under Judge David Paget QC. In his opening statement, prosecuting barrister Brian Altman QC detailed the murder and the days leading up to it. Altman gestured towards two trolleys at the front of the courtroom as he spoke. Each trolley bore a portion of the 30 instruments which had been recovered from the flat. The prosecutor told the jury that Christy Bamu had been subjected to sustained torture over a prolonged period by Magali Bamu and Eric Bakubi. The victim's sister and her partner had even forced Christy's siblings to participate in the assault. The younger children were made to clean up the copious amounts of blood spilt around the flat. Eve, Christie's 22-year-old autistic brother, was made to guard the door to ensure Christie could not escape. Kelly was ordered to take a pair of pliers to her brother's ear. 
as the Bamu children looked to their eldest sister for protection. Agali Bamu ignored them and actively participated in the abuse. Brian Altman QC spoke about the belief of Kindoki and its significance in the case. He said that testimony would make it clear that there was, quote, no provision in Congolese life and culture for the maltreatment and abuse of children. However, if the practice of Kindoki is dislocated from the control of churches in the Congo and the supervisory influence of religious leaders, then it may take on a feral and indeed evil character, as we suggest it did here. Testimony began with Kelly Bamu, who was 20 years old when she witnessed her brother's murder. She spoke through a French interpreter about how Eric Bakubi and Magali Bamu were obsessed with the idea that Kelly and her siblings were witches. Kelly Bamu said, I repeated again and again and again that we were not witches, that we had come there to spend Christmas as a family together. But I don't know what was going on in their minds. They decided we were there to kill them. Kelly spoke about being ordered to get the pliers and twist her younger brother's ear. She said that her older sister had berated her for not twisting hard enough to hurt him. Kelly said she could not bring herself to do it, despite the threats against her, and Magali Bamu snatched the pliers and twisted Christie's ear as hard as she could. Kelly then looked directly at Bamu in the dock and told her older sister, You are an absolute disgrace. Throughout her testimony, Kelly Bamu spoke directly to the defendants as she told the court about the horrific acts that were committed. She spoke about Eric Bakubi forcing her to hold a light bulb in her mouth and putting a knife to her chest. Kelly told the court that she and one of her sisters had said they were witches to stop the abuse. Bakubi then fixated on her brother, Christy. Speaking about Bakubi breaking the floor tiles over Christy's head multiple times, Kelly testified, Christy was already tired by this point and couldn't take any more blows, but that wasn't enough for Eric. He wanted him to die. Upon hearing this, Magali Bamu was audibly upset. Kelly Bamu continued, Eric just went for Christy. Christy was a child. He was 15 years old. His face was completely disfigured. Christy, he suffered. And Magali did nothing, so both of them are guilty. When the siblings tried to tell their parents what was happening on the phone, Kelly said Magali Bamu denied the abuse. Kelly was forced to tell her mother that she had confessed to being a witch, but Jacqueline Bamu did not understand what she was being told by her daughter. Kelly explained that by the time Christy was dragged to the bathroom on Christmas morning, she could see in his eyes that he was already close to death. The witness told the court, Eric asked Christy if he wanted to die 
Christie said, yes, I want to die. That's the last thing I heard from my brother. Overcome with emotion, Kelly pointed at her older sister in the dock and shouted, Christie is dead. He's not here anymore. They should have to undergo the same thing as happened to Christie. Magalie deserves to die for what they did to us. I have no pity for her. She had no pity for us. Kelly Bamu said that her brother Christie had begged for forgiveness again and again and again, but Magalie Bamu had done nothing to help. Kelly went on to say that she was sure her older sister still believed to that day that they were witches. Kelly spoke about Eric Bakubi's diminished responsibility plea and said he was perfectly aware of what he was doing. She asked them directly if they knew what they had done or if they had ever thought of Christie's parents. When Kelly Bamu was cross-examined by Magali Bamu's barrister, Philippa Makatezny QC, the witness was asked if she believed her sister was as powerless as the rest of her siblings. Kelly replied, Really? She was powerless? No. She could have said to Eric, Stop, stop, that's enough now, and he would have stopped. Makatezny rebutted this statement and branded it as nonsense before saying, That man had completely lost it, hadn't he? Kelly was undeterred and continued. He was aware of what he was doing. There was all blood around. He could see that blood around. He was aware of what was happening. Now he says he was suffering from insanity. He knew what he was doing. Magali and Eric were in it together. Christy Bamu's younger brother also testified via video link. As he was 13 years old when the crimes occurred, his name is not a matter of public record. The young witness spoke about how Bakubi had hit Christy as if he wanted to kill him. The boy said that Eric Bakubi had made Christy hold a metal bar in his mouth while Bakubi swung a hammer, quote, as if he was going to bang in a nail. The child remembered Bakubi telling Christie that he was going to break all of his teeth. The boy described Christie's final moments, saying, He tried to hold the walls to get up, but he was hurting everywhere. He tried, and then he laid down because I think he had no strength left. He tried to use the edges. He tried to push down on his hands, but he couldn't because he was dizzy, and he fell down every time. The jury was shown video footage from a police interview with Christy Bamu's 11-year-old sister. She had also been accused of being a witch and was subjected to painful beatings with a stick that she described as being bigger than her. 
At one point, Eric Bakubi had also put a light bulb in her mouth and a knife to her chest, as he had done to Kelly before, asking the little girl if she knew what death was. The child recalled seeing her brother Christy kneeling in the living room while Bakubi smashed the tiles over him. She said she thought it was a nightmare. She was forced to mop the blood off the floor with her clothes. Christy Bamu's parents, Pierre and Jacqueline, took the stand and testified that they had been unable to intervene from Paris. The couple had initially dismissed the claims that Eric Bakubi and their daughter were hurting their children because they trusted them and believed what they were told, especially from their daughter who denied what was happening. Medical testimony came from the paramedics who attended the scene, along with a pathologist who conducted the post-mortem, outlining the 131 injuries found on the 15-year-old's body. Paramedic Rayad Budeli said that when they first saw Christy Bamu on the bathroom floor, there was very little blood, but he could see deep lacerations on the teenager's head. When paramedics carried Christy to the corridor, they could see that he had cuts on his back, bruising on his face, and some of his teeth were broken or missing. Members of the investigation team and scene of crime officers who had been in the flat described in graphic detail what they found. Photographs shown to the jury illustrated just how violent the attacks had been, with blood spatter being found on the floors, walls, curtains and ceiling of the flat. Dr. Richard Hoskins, an expert in African religions who had previously assisted the police in belief-based abuse cases, was called to testify about the Kindoki element of the crime. Dr. Hoskins details this case, other similar incidents and his experiences in his book, The Boy in the River. The doctor began explaining to the court what he knew about the belief in Kindoki and sorcery in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He said that many believed that there were spirits called the living dead who controlled the world and everything in it. These beings were thought to have the power to give life or take it away. According to Dr. Hoskins, Kindoki is associated with the living dead who had passed so long ago that they were no longer remembered, and so they were evil. Traditionally, someone who believed that they were being impacted by Kindoki would travel to a healer. Depending on the perceived severity of Kindoki, the healer would offer guidance or herbal tea to ward off the bad luck. If that did not work, they would scapegoat an animal and banish it and the Kindoki to the wilderness. In the most extreme case, an animal sacrifice would be made. Dr. Hoskins said that in modern times, Christianity had blended with traditional beliefs. The Kindoki was no longer an unseen force that brought bad luck, 
but instead a great evil that could manifest itself in the living and possess them. The extent of the belief for many led them to think that the only way an afflicted person could be freed was through deliverance. However, many of the elders who undertook healing had spoken to say that preachers had made this up for profit. Dr. Hoskins described deliverance ceremonies or exorcisms he had seen in Kinshasa, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo. However, Hoskins said that what Eric Bakubi and Magali Bamu had done was on another level, testifying, In this case, the evidence that I've read is something completely feral. It's wild. It's completely out of control. It's beyond the normal patterns that exist in the Congo. Dr. Richard Hoskins told the court that the actions of the accused should not be confused with the belief system in which they sought shelter. Brian Altman QC acting for the Crown told the jury about incidents in Eric Bakubi's past which demonstrated that for a long time Bakubi had held the belief in Kindoki. Bakubi was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1983. His mother died in childbirth and after being raised by his father he was sent to live in the UK when he was seven years old. Here Bakubi lived with his uncle and other relatives until his uncle succumbed to acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Bakubi began seeing Magali Bamu in 2004. Their relationship was often turbulent and abusive. In 2008, Magali's teenage cousin Naomi Alungana came to live with the couple in Dagenham. When Bakubi saw Naomi biting her nails... He accused her of practicing witchcraft and told Magali to throw away anything that Naomi had touched in case she tainted it with Kindoki. Bakubi forced Naomi to fast for three days and prayed for the release of her bad spiritual soul before cutting off her hair to release the witchcraft. The prosecutor said that Naomi had been lucky enough to escape but her experience echoed that of the Bamu children. Brian Altman QC dismissed Bakubi's defence of diminished responsibility and said, It was of Bakubi's beliefs which he shared with Magali Bamu that he set about depriving the children of food and sleep. It was those same beliefs that led to the beatings which became increasingly cruel and increasingly inventive and which were ultimately to cost Christie his life. However implausible you might find that proposition, they believed it, and these are beliefs that many intelligent people across the African continent in fact share. He knew exactly what he was doing, and fully intended what he achieved. Several psychiatrists testified for the defence about their belief that Eric Bakubi was not of sound mind at the time of the offence. Dr Tim Rogers had interviewed Bakubi while he was being held in Pentonville Prison following the murder. 
Dr. Rogers said that Bakubi had experienced abnormal visions and hallucinations from a young age. According to the expert witness, Bakubi was afraid to tell anyone about it in case he was labelled as being affected by witchcraft. MRI scans conducted following his arrest showed that Bakubi had suffered brain damage attributed to a childhood injury. The specialist testified that the injury may have caused psychosis and schizophrenic delusions. However, previously, medical treatment had never been sought. Eric Bakubi did not testify in his own defence. His legal counsel asked that the jury find him not guilty of murder by reason of diminished responsibility. Reports suggested that Bakubi not only believed in Kindoki, but also that he was the chosen one who could identify conduits of possession. Magali Bamu testified in her own defence. She argued that as a result of living in servitude to relatives and then her boyfriend Eric Bakubi, she felt unable to defy him when he began to assault her siblings. Bamu said that from the time she moved to the UK at the age of 13, she was made to cook, clean and look after her aunt's children. According to the defendant, she was not allowed to attend school and had tried to educate herself by signing up for courses while working as a cleaner. She said that her relationship with Bakubi was pleasant to begin with, but over time he became controlling and did not allow her to have any sort of life or friends of her own. Magali Bamu denied believing in Kindoki or any superstition, saying, Eric sometimes went off. He would talk about witchcraft, talk, 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 then stop. I would be listening because that's the best thing to do when he's going on about something. When he gets it out of his system, you carry on with life. I don't have any views because I don't believe in it. To me, it does not exist. Magali Bamu told jurors about having to move to a women's refuge. Bakubi had given her a black eye when she did not eat from the floor as he had ordered her to. After this incident, they reconciled and moved into a new flat the same location where Christy Bamu lost his life. The tiles that were smashed across Christy's head were supposed to be laid by Bamu and Bakubi as they were updating their new home. Magali Bamu's barrister, Philippa Makatezny QC, asked her client if she had intended to kill Christy. The defendant replied, Never. No, never. He's my brother and I loved him. What I did was because I was forced to. What happened, I could not stop. Magali Bamu insisted that she took part in the assaults because Eric Bakubi would hit Christy even harder if she refused. She explained that she had only been called into the bathroom after Christy was submerged under the cold water. 
The defendant claimed that she had begged Bakubi to call an ambulance before eventually managing to make a 999 call from her mobile phone. After blaming Christie's death on her co-defendant, Bamu was forced to admit that she had lied about being employed. She had also hidden an affair. During cross-examination, Prosecutor Brian Altman QC held up a curtain pole. He asked Magali Bamu if she had hit her brother in the head with it. She admitted that she had. Altman then pointed to a dent in the pole and said, It's a dent in the shape of his skull, isn't it? It's bent completely out of shape like that because you struck him so hard on the head. The prosecutor also showed the jury photographs of the flat's front door. It had not been locked as Bamu had claimed, meaning she could have sought help or taken Christie to safety. Magali Bamu seemed more concerned for her new sofa than her brother, according to the prosecutor, and she had warned Christie not to sit on it when he stumbled through the living room bleeding from his injuries. It was alleged that Bamu did not want the sofa to get stained. At the end of the month-long trial, the jury were sent out to deliberate the charges of murder and multiple counts of assault causing actual bodily harm. After 26 hours... On March 1st, 2012, jurors returned with their verdicts. Both Magali Bamu and Eric Bakubi were found guilty of all charges. So how can a belief in witchcraft, or Kindoki as it's known in the Congo, from where the family originally came, lead to the death of Christy Bamu, a world away, here, high on the eighth floor of this East London tower block. I think it will remain a mystery. We looked at various lines of inquiries but found absolutely no evidence in relation to um, links to um, churches or, or anything like that. Deliverances are taking place in the UK and people are being accused of witchcraft and being delivered from that witchcraft in the UK. That's not to say that they're anything like what happened here in this, in this flat, but they are happening. Christie's father says they feel betrayed by people they trusted. The fact that one was his own daughter, Christie's sister, makes the pain that much worse. Four days after the guilty verdicts were handed down, a sentencing hearing was held. In court, Pierre Bamu, Christie's father, offered a statement. It read, We were always fond of Eric and regarded him as a son. We were proud that he would call us mum and dad. As a family, we planned our futures together and Eric and I were to open a restaurant in London together as a legacy for our family. The pain of Christie's death is something which cannot be measured or calculated. 
Christy was a fine young man, kind and considerate, much loved by his family and friends. We saw that he was becoming a man. We hoped that he would work with me in my carpentry business and one day take over. Christy was also a role model to his siblings. Christmas, a festival of joy, and Jacqueline's birthday will always be scarred by these terrible events. The pain is unimaginable. This was done by people we loved and trusted. To know that Christie's own sister, Magalie, did nothing to save Christie makes the pain that much worse. We are still unaware of the full extent of the brutality. We cannot bring ourselves to hear it. Judge David Paget QC told Eric Bakubi and Magali Bamu that the case involved sadistic behaviour. He accepted that Bakubi's brain injury may have made him more inclined to believe Christie was a witch, but said, The belief in witchcraft, however genuine, cannot excuse an assault to another person, let alone the killing of another human being. Judge Paget did not accept Magali Bamu's claim that she was forced to take part in the abuse by Bakubi, or that she held no belief in Kindoki. He told her, It is only explicable if you shared Eric Bakubi's belief. It provides some explanation for what happened, but does not excuse it. Eric Bakubi was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison. Magali Bamu was sentenced to a minimum of 25. Speaking with the media, senior investigator Detective Inspector Paul Maddock described what he referred to as an almost unprecedented scenario where siblings were murdering another sibling. Maddox said, The family have been very positive, and they've pulled together remarkably well. They were more than willing to give evidence and make sure the perpetrators were dealt with appropriately. Detective Superintendent Terry Sharp from Scotland Yard also addressed reporters. I now am going to read a statement on behalf of the Bamu family. We will never forget Christy, but we will strive to move forward as a family as this is what Christy would have wanted. We take some comfort that Christy's death will help to raise awareness of the plight of children accused of witchcraft or spirit possession and promote the need to safeguard children's rights. So where are we now? After the trial, Christy Bamu's father, Pierre, was interviewed by a reporter for Channel 4 News. Pierre spoke about the respect and trust he had previously held for Eric Bakubi prior to his son's murder and putting aside any reservations he had about Bakubi because of the choice his daughter made. Pierre Bamu stated, 
My daughter Magali introduced him to me. You know, here I'm talking as a parent who has grown up children. And the day they come to you and say, Dad, I want you to meet my boyfriend, to please your daughter, I think you have to accept him and say, my daughter has made a good choice. So to keep my daughter happy, I accepted Eric as part of our family. But unfortunately, he brought us death. And that is a shame. Pierre Bamu described the prevention and risk assessments he often undertook in his career as a carpenter and in his life. He often had to plan ahead, but he said that his son Christie's death was never something he could foresee. In the fallout of the trial, Many people came forward to report belief-based abuse. However, there were numerous instances of this type of crime in the past. Project Violet, a Metropolitan Police faith-related child abuse unit, had been founded in 2005. This was following the discovery of an eight-year-old Angolan girl in 2001 who had been severely abused because she was believed to be a witch. Only known as Child B, her parents had died in Angola. When she was brought to the UK, she was subjected to torturous abuse such as having chilli peppers rubbed in her eyes and being cut with a knife. The executive director of Africa, Africans Unite Against Child Abuse, offered a statement about the growing trend of belief-based abuse relating to accusations of witchcraft. We were concerned about this before this trial of Christy Bamu. This is not a problem with all pastors or all churches, but the branding of children as witches is not abating. It is a growing problem. There are so many children suffering in silence. As adults who are accused of being possessed with Kindoki are coming forward to speak about the abuse they suffered, more knowledge is gathered, which in turn will hopefully aid the authorities to spot cases of belief-based abuse before more lives are lost. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer Simon Peacock and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.